You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Yeah, I remember sitting here sweating it out. Did you know you had Lyme disease then? Yeah, Yeah, okay. From a tick? Yeah. Is that the only way you can get it? <clears throat> I assume so. Yeah. I don't know beyond that, but that's how I got it. Do you know the Jeez. conspiracy behind yeah, Lyme I've disease? I've heard so many. In fact, I was at a party a couple weeks ago, and somehow it came up like, oh, you had Lyme, and then a uh, creative uh, character launched into several different theories about where Lyme's coming from. Yeah, it's a military weapon <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Uh, they think was... Pacify. Well, it was... Crea- it was originated in Lyme, uh, Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. And apparently there's a military base that tests chemical <laughs> weapons nearby. If your town has a military base, you're responsible for some uh, kind of disease. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. Kind of an honor, you know? Yeah. I never dug in to see if any of this is true. I just, you know, you hear it and you just. Hey, well, whatever it. they were planning at said <laughs> military facility, it is working. What? So does it just run its course or do you- well, I, I think everybody's had kind of very, very varying experience with it. Mine was like, it, you know, I was really tapped with energy, like just mm. I, I we were down at our cottage and I went to cut the grass, which is like an hour and a half endeavor. Usually it's like a big lawn. So I got about like 20 minutes in. I was like, I feel like I need to fall over. Like, I feel crazy. And then I went in and I was like, Amanda, I don't feel good. And then she was like, turn around for a second. And then I had the huge... Big bullseye bite. Check for ticks. Check for ticks. Yeah, you guys spend enough time outside. Well, this must be a regular. It was a we. I picked it up. I think um, we were on a shoot up on the St. Mary's River, up on the eastern shore. And you know, there's always kind of been like kind of I think a bit of a uh, misconception or like a slow growth of misconception where uh, people are like, oh well, the, the ticks are down south. Like you know, they're so sure you got to worry down there. But like, well, they used to be. That's and why. that was yeah. the thing. Yeah, and yeah, then so we, up there we are covered in ticks. Mm. Yeah, I was flying the drone. Jan was in a canoe, and I was on the shore. We were filming for the Nature Trust. Like they had a really beautiful stretch that they just protected. And I look, I look down on my legs, and there's like six ticks on my like crawling on my legs. I'm like, holy crap! Like. We got to be careful out here, They're but out there. one of them, one of them got by Jan's, uh, tick check and mm. Lyme disease. So. I never did find the tick, but it, there was the obvious bite site. Yeah. Mm. And you got, there's medication. So you start taking that right away. And if you catch it right away, you're, you can, most of the time you always recover. But there was like, you know, it, weeks, months later where I would just like, again, like I'd wake up and I'd just be like, I am gas today. And it had that kind of similar feeling as how I felt at the beginning of it. They call that long Lyme disease. I think so. <laughs> I think that's an actual thing. And then yeah. part of me is just like, am I just looking for an excuse here? I just <laughs> yeah. want to blame something it's a for the movie day due to yeah. that Lyme. It had nothing to do with staying up until 2 a.m. playing tunes and drinking beer. <laughs> it's still this Lyme disease, obviously. This is a great segue into... Who you are and what you do. You know? <laughs> some guys who are Let's always have some in the woods. About what these guys do. Yeah, yeah. The tick guys are back. <laughs> you got a good tick story, Kristen. 
Oh, I have a gross tick story. I I tree planted for a number of summers in my younger years. And this would have been in the Annapolis Valley, more so on the north side. And I actually stepped in a tick nest, which I had never heard of such a thing, nor had my coworkers who had been doing this for years in their company. I had probably, I looked down and my pants and the bottom of my shirt were black. There, there were probably 200 to 300 ticks on me. And I, I kind of pulled the T-shirt <laughs> off my body and flicked it. And they just flew everywhere. And that night, we had a communal campfire where folks just kind of checked over parts and picked them off. And yeah, we, we stopped counting in the hundreds. It was disgusting. Wow. You just one-up my story big time. Well, it just, <laughs> yeah. this has never happened before or since, thankfully. <clears throat> Excuse me to anyone that I've heard of, but we we since have found out, yeah, there's such a thing as an, it's kind of like their birth and then they, you know, disperse themselves. But uh, I was so lucky to step right smack dab in the middle of it and thankfully didn't get Lyme or anything like that. But it also made me far less squeamish to any kind of bug that would ever be on my body again. Yeah, well, (laughs) not to ticks. We did see a tarantula live walking by us in Columbia, which was... That's a different category, though. Ticks ticks are scary sometimes (laughs) for people, but a tarantula... So we posted that video off the tarantula and someone's like... I'd rather have a tick on me. Like, no, no <laughs> shit. Like, it's a freaking tarantula. Like, Jesus. So, so, Jan and Chris, yeah. A for Adventure. The, if, you're, if you're still listening. The masters of ticks. The, yes, yes, yeah. We are one with the tick. Yeah. Well, you're, you're one with the woods off eastern Canada, that's for sure. And the back roads and the rivers and the trails. Tell tell us about who you are and what you do. <laughs> you go ahead. Yeah, well, Jan and I met in, uh, I know the years because there's a, a big event that happened that uh, led to our our, uh, our union, so to speak, uh, 2013. So Jan was taking on a crazy challenge where he was paddling a kayak to Sable Island. Huh? And those who are from Nova Scotia uh, or the world these days because Sable Island seems to be getting so much uh, deserved attention for how beautiful it is. Um, but paddling a kayak, I thought was a pretty gnarly idea. Yeah. Uh, and he was doing it with a friend of mine, uh, Graham Carter. And that's how uh, I got introduced to Jan. I was going to go along and help with marketing and getting the word out about, you know, what they were doing, raising money for Brigadoon Village, which is an amazing uh, organization that, uh, Houses various different camps for for kids um, down in Aylesford, Nova Scotia. Um, it was a fundraiser for them. So do this crazy endeavor, which is a you know 165 kilometer paddle from Canso, Nova Scotia, home oh, stand fest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so that's how we met. We did the uh, this amazing experience, and that's why we have such a connection with Standfest too, because oh, okay. nice. they reached out. Uh, Emily Lumpston reached out to us and said, Hey, we saw you guys in the news talking about this. And you said you're leaving from Canso. Where are you staying? And we were like, Well, we don't, we don't know actually. And she's like, Well, come stay in my house. <laughs> right. And uh, Buzz and Emily, who are now my, uh, our adopted grandparents for sure. Nice. Uh, and it's their, uh, their daughter, Jenny and, and Troy, who, who started Stanfest. Yeah, so yeah. that's, wow. we ended up staying at their house for like five days, waiting for the weather to get right. And, um, so we really got in touch with the, the Canso community and fell in love right away. But off we went to Sable Island at five in the morning on the 
August 17th and, uh, 2013, which is going on almost 10 years. And that's crazy. Nine Wild, years. Man. And, um, yeah, paddled along to Sable 30 hours later. Jesus. Do you have to do that in a straight shot or like, how, yeah. how does that work? I mean, we stopped for a pee and a, and a, and a bite. It was, there was no way. sleeping. It but was there's a straight no, shot. Like, yeah. You don't. It was crazy. I slept. Is there land in between that you can stop oh, and no. stretch your legs? Whoa. No. They stretch their legs by taking their legs out of the kayak and like, you know, yeah. putting them on putting the them boat. Up. Yeah, that was it. Uh, it was crazy to watch. It was That's insane. wild. It was insane. It's kind of the thing I was saying to this, somebody else not that long ago that like, it's now been so long that I don't remember it so much as I recall it as like a movie I saw one time, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny how like, uh, you know, really limiting our memories are like, you know, that and the sleep deprivation and all the other things that kind of came <laughs> the along. The torture you put yourself through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure. It's, um. But it, at the same time, it, um, it it was a real like reminder that anything, you know, I think like the building up to, to the Sable trip was like, not unlike, I think how a lot of people are feeling now. I mean, we were all sort of just about to turn into our thirties. So it kind of felt like in its own way, not the last youthful endeavor, Lord knows we have had 10 years of nonstop, like <laughs> ridiculous adventures after that, but it kind of felt like this transition time and it feels interesting to sort of reflect on it now where it feels like we're in this other, this new transitional time. Now we're all about to turn 40 next year. And like it, uh, I've been noticing a lot of echoes or similarities as to like the lead up to that as you know, kind of where I find myself now, which is at a very different place. But for me, it was an amazing, uh, like seize the moment type of thing where you guys were just like, we're going for it. And, and, and even parks Canada, cause they had just taken kind of ownership of the, of the Island or stewards of the Island. And they, they were kind of like, oh, come on guys. And they brought <laughs> us in to, to meet with us and their intentions. They did kind of tell us this later. Their intention was to say, boys, like, you can't, you can't do this. And we were just went in there with such energy and excitement and here's what we're going to do. And it's all about the kids and raising money, which it was, and, and a sweet adventure in which we made that clear too, but we had all the things in place and the safety precautions and everything. And, uh, they said yes, and they supported it. So, so not, not supported it. They did support it for sure, but they didn't, they allowed, they it. allowed it to happen <laughs> and they were very supportive of us. Yes, had anyone so. done that before you? Well, I mean, there could be some interesting discussions if you went back into perpetuity that, yes, probably somebody has through time. Uh, as far as we're known in like recorded history, no, no. Is anyone after? No, no. I mean, there's been some <laughs> chitter chatter about it. And then uh, I, you know, I get poked every once in a while. But like, Do it again for the 10 year. Well, yeah, your 39th <laughs> year. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely not. But it, um, wow. it reminds you just how big that ocean is out there. Jesus. And, you know, all the people who work their lives out there, right? Because, you know, the, the fella who from, from El Madame. I was just going to get into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beautiful Boudreaux boys. They kind of came to our rescue, actually, because our original support boat had to pull out at the last second because the weather window that we had just like we kept waiting, waiting for it, the conditions to improve and they never did. So we had to rethink like, finding another support boat. And like in the 11th hour, literally on the last day, these guys from Ilman Dam were like, oh, we'll take you out there. Like 
this was a crazy story looking back. Like El, his name is Alfie Richards. We we were now in Canso and we had no support boat. Yeah. So now we're like, well, we can't go. And like who we can't just call a fisherman and be like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I want to go to Sable Island. Yeah. For like drive next, by us for 30 hours. Yeah, for the next two days. <laughs> like, no, no one's gonna say yes to that until someone did. This is so Nova Scotia. It was I know. Crazy. So <laughs> yeah. far. It's so yeah. You're Nova staying Scotia. with your adopted grandparents yeah. you just met. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was unbelievable. Like at the time we were like, we gotta find someone. And I think we we're all I mean, I I I was convinced we would find a boat back then. I really was somehow. But looking back, I'm like, how would you expect that to happen? <laughs> but this Elfie Richards, um, he loves kids. He's got a lot of money and he loved the idea of giving money to kids and being a part of this. And he t- he sent two of his staff uh, down to Canso at seven o'clock at night. They arrived and they're like, what the heck is going on? This, <laughs> our bo- you know, basically our boss just said, go to Canso. There's two guys who are going to kayak to Sable Island. <laughs> and they were like, what are you talking about? So they arrived and they were like, all right, boys, what's happening here really? Like, and they're like, no, here's what we're doing. Like, okay, yeah, we'll be home. We'll leave tomorrow morning at five. Sure, yeah. They thought we'd be, they'd be home at 10 a.m. Because, you know, we'd get out and see what the ocean's all about and then want to turn around. And within an hour, because we left at five in the morning, the waves were pretty big. As the sun came up, I was like, whoa, this is an interesting start. And, and the captain <laughs> of the boat was just like, I, like as the, the, a few hours in, he was like, yeah, these boys are going to do it. Like he, he switched over. It took him a little bit of time, that, but it was, uh, then he was the biggest cheerleader the whole way. 30 hours is how long it took them. And, and yeah, they didn't, they didn't stop. They just. This is incredible. Going. And this is how you met? This is how yeah. we met. Yeah. Wow. I'm wild. not surprised then that <laughs> this has been the, you know, the evolution of your friendship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Sable yeah. Island was beautiful, by the way. Like we, we got there at 10 in the morning, like, well, 30 hours later or so, 10-ish. And it was a beautiful day. Beautiful day. And yeah, we got to go do a tour of Sable and... Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> was there anyone on the island then when you got there? Zoe. Zoe, yeah. Zoe yeah, Lucas, Zoe Lucas yeah. who's sort of legendary in her ongoing study and work of the island. She's been doing that now for almost 40 years, right? She she was on she was on the land. We got to speak to her and I was like, I knew she'd be there. And I was like, Oh, I've heard of heard about you. And like she came to Jan's school when, when Jan was a kid and uh and we were talking to her and she was congratulating us and the boys and and then I looked around and I was like, where did Zoe go? She's like, just disappeared back into the dunes. <laughs> like, I'll what never a legend. Yeah. She's like a legendary move. I'm like, she's back with the horses. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys have a, a background in kind of outdoor adventure or enthusiasm? Was it something maybe you studied in school or just had interest in as a hobby? Like talk about that part of your background in life before the Sable Island trip. Yeah. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like at this point, even if I just to tally up hours in a kayak, you know, I'd be into the thousands. Yeah. Because um, I sort of came to like outdoor pursuit stuff. I mean, like, you know, we grew up in the woods, right? Like most, you know, of us lucky enough to live just outside the city and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So being outside was just how you lived life. But, you know, there was a, an, another layer to it too, which was it, it was a place for me to escape. You know, I was lucky to have a, a, a pretty good childhood, but not without its its concerns and stuff and really complicated relationships and times. So I always just felt like the place that I felt most safe, most me was outdoors. 
And mm-hmm. it was like pretty early on too that like sharing that with others was just like mm. a completely natural progression for me that it had to be woven into my life and somehow. So like when I was a teenager, I, you know, I started, I was like a canoe instructor and then started leading kayak tours, which is also how Mike yeah, and I, yeah, I first was get met. Into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can oh. get there in a minute. We'll get there, yeah. <laughs> so, and, <laughs> and then, you know, that work took me around the world. Like I got to lead trips uh, through my 20s, like all across the South Pacific and across the country and all over Hell's Half Acre. And that was very much on the tourism side of things, but like a big thing that I became, you know, slowly, I always joke that like, you know, especially guys, like it takes us, you know, a couple extra decades to grow a brain. (laughs) And I noticed very slowly that when you are out on an adventure, like people loosen up and they want to talk. Right. Mm. And the sort of style trip that I had done professionally for a long time, like an expedition work, like, you know, you're out there for five or 10 or 15 days or whatever. Right. So you get a lot of time to talk because there's nothing else really to do other than moving from point A to point B and eating food and that kind of thing. So it, um, it became this, this big opening, like this big awareness that like, Oh, you know, what if I could combine the two? What if I could bind being outside also with this need to sort of help and, and, you know, raise each other up. So then I went back and I, you know, I did some study in, uh, in recreation therapy and, and then worked in that field, like in mental health and addictions for a long time too at the IWK where, um, you know, very specifically like using nature now as medicine that we all know, you know, mm-hmm. the four of us can easily agree on this, but like in the time that we've been doing a for adventure, like over the 10 years that we've seen grown, like the narrative on it has changed entirely from it being yeah, okay, it's a good thing. You know, we're good good old Canadians. We like spending time outside. Where now it's like it's a necessary part of the equation that people need to have a good, balanced, healthy life. Yeah, you can get a prescription written now for time spent in nature in some countries I've yeah, seen. Yeah. New Zealand, New perhaps. Zealand, yeah. Australia, yeah. And that was already happening. Like when I was living down there working. Is that right? They were doing mm-hmm. that. And I was like gobsmacked by this because I was mm-hmm. like, this is crazy. So the whole lead up to Sable, you know, it, it sort of traversed through all those different elements. And, uh, and we put a big emphasis on that project around talking about mental health and mental illness and addiction. Um, and you know, the, the camp specifically at Brigadoon that we were supporting was with another organization called Chisholm Services for Children, which is a, basically a group home for, for young kids, um, who've come from like the worst of the worst scenarios. And that's a common tale too, as we look around in communities and stuff and, and part of our work over these, these last number of years too is like we've had the crazy privilege of being in so many towns i mean a lot like yourself right like you know playing tunes and stuff you you build all these connections with people and you see the goodness and the grading and the growing goodness of these places but you also see the disparity and that's been real too so our whole narrative of course with that project and then ensuing with what we've done with a for ventures always tried to bring it back to that you know, what's most important is, is sharing the idea that being outside is very important for us. It's very important for community. And of course, it's very important for people to have that understanding and that relationship with planet Earth because, you know, we got to save her now. Like she's she's not in good shape. Yeah. So just to tie a bow in the, the how we kind of started A for Adventure, too, that's a perfect segue. We 
on the way home from Sable, back at Canso, people meet us at the dock at like midnight, you know, cheering us on. It was amazing. Stayed up late that night. Um, we hit the road like the next day or two days later and Jan's like, all right, so I want to hear my next idea. And to which like, we always joke. I'm like, I was like, no, I don't. Like, <laughs> I'm tired. I want to get home. We have a, you know, three and a half hour drive. Like, shut up. Like, we just got yeah. back. Like, planning the next door. Yeah. Shouldn't you be sleeping? You, what are you? Uh, and he, I was like, yeah, of course. Like, what do you got? Like, because he, he had told me about a children's book before. So, but not much. He just kind of teased it. So I was like, yeah, give it to me. So he pulls out his phone and he starts reading A is for, a is for adventure, as you will come to see. It's like hiking or biking or climbing a tree or taking a beach, taking a trip to a, what is it? Taking a, taking going to the beach trip. just to play in the sand. Yeah, yeah, taking a it. trip to a faraway land. Yes, A is for adventure. Get you'll ready. Come to know. Yeah, you'll come to know. So get ready, get set, get ready, let's go. And I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And then B is for biking. I'm like, and he goes and he gets C is for canoeing. He starts reading. I'm like, dude, this is, this is really cool. Yeah, okay, this is. It was awesome. Like, who's who's gonna do the illustrations? He's like, oh, I got a guy. His name is Chris Hoyt. He's on Unreal, so I see how awesome his illustrations are. And uh, yeah, so we're like, oh, yeah, well, let's do a book. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> and as you guys easy. know, we know yeah. nothing about putting a book out. <laughs> that was all we knew at that point yeah. was us talking about it. Um, you have the idea. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had I had a publishing background. I'd worked for magazines for years and stuff, so I knew kind of like where the magazines got printed. <laughs> I knew, you know, that kind of thing. And I knew how to like lay things. Anyway, so we started to kind of lay the foundation, ended up talking to some publishers, but ended up doing a Kickstarter campaign. To do the Kickstarter campaign, it's basically you're, you're marketing yourself. So we're like, well, let's take to the internet and start a for adventure page, you know, and do all those kind of things. And we did a, we did this thing where we did 100 days of adventure early on. So, for a hundred days straight, we would do some kind of adventure and this would be a way to like promote the book and like what we're all about, about getting kids outside and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, like day, whatever CB day 40 or 50 CBC came along, they called us CBC radio and they were like, Hey, this is really cool. Like, can we come along on one of your adventures? Like, yeah, absolutely. So Jan's backyard, uh, childhood backyard in Herring Cove, the reporter comes, uh, Fliss McGregor, she comes and sits in the middle of the canoe does the interview it's like it airs the next day it's like six minutes long and it, they got a kick out of it they're like oh you guys we went on a hard charm offensive yeah but it was it, it turned out <laughs> it sounded it sounded really it was good she did Fliss did a great job and um so we went back to cbc we <laughs> no i think it was the next week it was like their 44th birthday i think that's right cbc yeah. radio and i know that because i had had the t-shirt at one point for a long hmm. time and they were live from the seaport market. And so like, can you guys paddle across from Dartmouth and come on the show? And we're like, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, like, yeah, we'll have you on at, uh, at 6.45. And we're like, ooh, that's early, okay. So like, how, oh, yeah, we'll have to leave Dartmouth at like five in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. So we show up and I, at this point, like, I'm, you know, not listening to CBC as much as I do or have in the last five or six years. Now it's on like, you know, every morning and stuff. But back then, so I had no idea what this party was going to be about, but there was like 500 people 
in the seaport market. <laughs> People like, love CBC. Yeah. So we did that. And, then and was, deeply don't yeah. at the same time. Yeah. There's a moral yeah, yeah. polarization. We don't need to get political. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll like them for the story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that started our CBC thing. But I guess to finish, we did publish the book. CBC in the end and our hundred days of adventure really helped kind of market the book. And uh, yeah, we've, we've sold uh, a few since then. So it's been, it's been a, we, we like to call it like our, our business card as to what a for adventure became, which is really a marketing company for the outdoors, like working with tourism, promoting the outdoors, working with parks, Canada, which we have been a really good relationship with over the years. Um, Nova Scotia nature Trust. Canadian Wildlife Services, really just showcasing how amazing the outdoors is and why it's important to get out in it and protect it and, you know, reap the benefits. And Jay and I, we talked about this before, uh, with your book, yeah. you said you went to a publisher and we won't, we won't name any names here, <laughs> but they, they wanted to change a bunch of stuff, get a different illustrator, like oh, take all the control and you were like a subtle frig off you know like where i want to control this and obviously it's worked out very well like what was that process like like when someone who has i guess reputation in the industry and established and they're trying to tell you what to do and some people are like yeah well like you should trust them but you followed your intuition and and it's worked out really well yeah, well, I mean, you know, and I bet you, look, there are endless parallels in the music industry here too, right? Where Oh, for sure, yeah. That uh, we, yeah, we shopped it around. We went to places. We talked to the you know, people who were in the know. And um, I kind of got this sense, like right out of the gate, that like the publishing industry, maybe you felt like this a little bit too, is was, at least at that time, still a little bit grounded in like 20 years ago. You know, there was still like a really traditional sense. It takes of, three years to def- totally. Once you finish your book, it's another three years to get out. Like really, three years. <laughs> you know? And then, like, yeah. And then, of course, too. Like, you see, you see someone like us walk through the door, and we. I always felt, uh, you know, we've never the two of us lacked for confidence. So we just always felt like we had a good thing. We yeah. had this is a good product. Like I know it's going to land well, and. um when we didn't kind of hear what we wanted to hear, then we, th- we just, hell, we're going to set it out on our own and we'll, we'll make it happen. And it, it's been an incredible growing experience. And, you know, knowing what I know now, like, you know, if you get, if I was in their position and just somebody showed up and they're like, we're going to do this and then it's going to be this and that. And, <laughs> you know, you, you would just think, okay, so pump the brakes here for a second. Do you know what did feel good though? is when we did get the book printed and, and sold um, and reached our goal on Kickstarter, we all signed a book. And I wrote, I wrote best wishes and sent it to said publisher. <laughs> <laughs> that did feel pretty good. That's awesome. Again, not lacking for confidence. <laughs> <laughs> that confidence has taken you both far, though. Like, look where, look where you are. You're in our studio. Uh, yeah. right? I know, my goodness. I started guess. at CBC and ended in Hot Jupiter Studios. Yes. <laughs> Listen, which is a bit of a trip. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, I'm fans of both of you guys. You guys are amazing. Like, from a professional standpoint, I've been a fan you know, Mike, I remember back in the old Stamp S days, like dancing in the old arena, yeah. being like, these guys are awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> Why then, don't you tell the lovely listeners about how you and I first met? 
Okay. <laughs> so and you, feel probably, free to edit any place probably names. 10, 10 years ago. Uh, I think more. Maybe more, a dozen years ago. Yeah. Uh, me and uh, my brother and cousins wanted to do the epic hike that is Pollitt's Cove. And at that time, it, it's pretty darn popular now. Like, yeah. it, the word has gotten out because of people like A for Adventure. No. <laughs> Social media. Yeah. Yeah. So We can talk about that later. It, yeah. was, it was kind of a secret spot then. Yeah. Like, you, if you, you had to be doing other hikes and you'd come across another hiker who would say, hey, you got to check out this Pollock's Cove. It's like this crazy hike. You go up two mountains, yada, yada. So we're like, we got to do this. And... uh so yeah, you drive up to Pleasant Bay, you park, and then you, you set out on your epic adventure. And uh, two of our hiking mates were fairly out of shape <laughs> at the time. And so so it was a, a struggle. Like it's it's I think even for the best people, like if you're if you're carrying your seventy pounds and you're going over those hills, like it's it's it and your be guitar in your yeah, case. Yeah, we, yeah. We yeah. Guitar, yeah. bottles of beer, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't pack the best priorities. <laughs> yeah, we, we, my cousin James brought get He just had a guitar in his left hand the entire hike. It's not even in a case. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, and that's, that's like so that is uh, show some dedication to wanting to play some tunes. So yeah, we we make it in, and there's a thing about Pollock's Cove. Like at the very end, you kind of push through like the woods, and you look down upon it, and it's this just majestic sight. Like it's truly like as pretty as anything you could see. Like there's wild horses running around. <laughs> like at one point when we got down below, I was in the water, and there was a seal out just a little bit. Further than me, which is a little scary, but whatever. There was a bald eagle circling above, and I could see the wild horses just like coming up. I'm like, oh, this is the most majestic place on the earth. And then I saw the wild horse eating our loaf of bread, (laughs) bastard. But uh, so we go to Pollock's Cove, and like after after you hike in, you just want to reward yourself, and you jump in the water, have a drink of Fireball whiskey, whatever, whatever you need to do. And, uh, yeah, we, we were in Paul's Cove somewhere around and we saw this trail of kayaks come in and, uh, didn't know who they were or what, what, what their story was, but, uh, kind of, we did, we didn't chat right away. They went to a different spot and night came and, uh, we got a fire going, the tune started up. One of the biggest campfires I think I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Partially to keep the coyotes away. True story. Who were were pretty aggressive that night until my cousin howled back at them like a lunatic (laughs) and then they took off. (laughs) So uh, we started playing some songs and I think I was in the middle of All Hell for a Basement by Big Sugar and Jan walks over and uh, I you just sit down and we chatted for like i think you might did you play any songs that I, night? I feel okay. like i probably i think did. we passed the guitar yeah, back and I forth so. like like oh he plays music he's a hiker who's been all around the world an adventurer like this guy's pretty pretty legit i didn't know about your sable island story though so uh but yeah big sugar all hell for a basement which is an amazing tune amazing tune and, and look you just crushed that tune 
I mean, I think you put a video of what, like last year, two years ago? Yeah. The cover you yeah. did with it. And I, Big Sugar even, even validated they, the fact yes, that. Yes, they, they think did get that. a word from uh, Gordy Johnson there. Mm, that's your entrance song now, they it, call it. I, actually, for sure. You no. Know, and I'm, look, I don't, I don't say this uh, with anything other than love. I think your version's better, man. Well, I, I very much appreciate that. It's, very, I love it's the very version. different I, than it is, yeah. their version. But yeah, we, we sat around the campfire. We had <laughs> bottles of beer. <laughs> I remember one of you guys too, uh, your cousin maybe, was really into the idea of like carving a big set of cutlery like he had, he had made like a three foot long spoon and he was making a butter knife and you guys had like liam yeah yeah various like games shut up set up was like throwing a boot into oh a, yeah <laughs> we had the politzkov uh, olympics yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> yeah that was uh but yeah you you had taken in a group of uh i think it was americans or Probably a hodgepodge of a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, a regular route for, um, for, at that time, I would have been working for Coastal Adventures, and they're based up on the Eastern Shore, but run okay. trips all over yeah. Atlantic Canada. And that one, man, is ooh, it's so beautiful. Like, if you catch it right, yeah. you know, especially the, the stretch as you go past there, and you go up around Cape St. Lawrence and Cape North and so on. Yeah. It is just spectacular. Like Money Point, all those little spots. Uh, and, you know, with a kayak, like, you, you know, you're paddling through these, like, sea arches and into sea caves, and there's waterfalls and whales yeah. and mermaids and, like, <laughs> all the best things, yeah. you know. And it just, it, um, I think it's, you know, it's, it almost feels like a pilgrimage, you know. You go up yeah. there and you just, like, really feel like you're connecting back to to that beautiful friggin' island. Yeah, it's a special place for sure. And and like, like I was saying earlier, there are a lot more people going there, yep. which it's kind of like uh, a band that uh, you like and then everyone else discovers <laughs> it, they become popular. <laughs> yeah, they're not that good anymore. But yeah. it's great that a lot of people are getting to experience it because I, it sucks that there's a lot of like trash being left in that. But that, That's the biggest education, you know, you can only slow down the, and it's kind of like, a, it is a double-edged sword because social media, and for us, like it's a definitely a, an elephant in the room type of thing for sure. Like, and that's why we, love, that's why I love the partnerships with Parks Canada and our provincial parks and like, yeah. let's promote these places that already have the infrastructure. And over the years, like, you know, it's been a while since we've promoted, um, a place like Paul's Cove. We just, I go to Paul's Cove to get away from everything. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, there's no, there's, there's personal pictures of Paul's Cove, but I don't share them anymore. And that's, you know, but we're getting old now though. <laughs> well, and you know, I think too, like when we say this regularly, where it, we really struggle with social media. Mm -hmm. I, I do specifically. Chris is, has, like, Oh, I have right now. I'm like, um, yeah, I've I've anxiety with social media. I'm yeah. going through uh, like going through it as we as we speak. It's a uh, it's a real thing. I remember people talking to me about it years ago. Like, oh, I just can't handle social media. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it's not so bad. And now I now I get it now. Like, yeah. I don't know what's. I think with different things that happen in your life, like different, you know, I've had a tough summer with some family stuff and you know, friends and people losing their lives and just makes you take a step back. And I think it was just became overwhelming and I haven't, uh, yeah, I haven't fully recovered from it yet. Mm. Yeah. 
I'm glad that you are raising the conversation of exposing some of these magical places that you've surely been. You probably have an endless list of just stumbling upon or, you know, this this majestic scene emerges. And anyone who can really understand what you're talking about and having that connection. So it's, yes, connection to nature, but it's it's a very specific feeling almost that overcomes you when you know that you're in it, you're in this moment, you're present with that. And part of your premise is wanting to encourage others to share that experience. And therefore you have to promote some of these locations that maybe you would find yourself feeling that way. But as you're describing, the double-edged sword is then if everyone is experiencing that, is it, does it still share that same sense of special? Well, we, so we have a partnership with the Nova Scotia nature trust, and this is a good example, I think for us and how we like to do a lot of our work these days is the nature trust is out to protect land that is private usually. Um, and they can acquire this land from landowners who can donate it to them, or they can acquire it by buying it through people donating to the nature trust. So it's a mixture of both, um, but they exist to just preserve important land really is what, is what the nature trust does. And for us, it's, we go and we try to highlight these areas that they've protected, um, to show people how beautiful they are and why they should be protected. Not so much to promote people to go to those places, um, so it's mm. trying to find, so it's less like geotagging things. It's yeah, more that's a like, good distinction. Yeah. Like yeah. different areas. And, and some of them can't be accessed by people or some of them are tough to get to like example, extreme example, like Sable Island or something. But some places are, are marshlands that, you know, humans don't want to go to, but they're super, why are they important to protect and all these different things. So that's been a really good relationship for us. In fact, there's actually uh we're close to the, the other right. end of yeah. that yeah. Birch um, Blue, Birch, yeah, Blue, Mo, Blue Mountain, Birch Cove, Blue Mountain Wilderness Area, which the Nature Trust protected like a really important piece of that, which is really close to where you guys live, actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's been a really good transition, not so much about promoting certain places all the time and like trying to promote infrastructure. Like, I think we're lucky with our CBC show where we get to go on every every other Wednesday and we've been doing that now for seven years, eight years. Um and we get to highlight the amazing work that's going on in our communities. And like we talk about the rails trails a lot because it's great infrastructure and the volunteers that keep that running are amazing and they do it, you know, they do it for us and like the trail building, like the trails aren't just beautiful, like in, in, and cut and maintain, like people do that, like, and they're volunteers, yeah, like it's, right. it's amazing to see. And so mm. You guys probably don't remember this, but that's actually where we met was on Rails to Trails. Mm -hmm. I think you were filming, I want to say a commercial, you were filming something as you do. And I was having coffee with my friend Bonnie on the back deck and that's you right. came bike and, and bike bike and, at bike the bike and bean. bean. Yeah, yeah it's right. a great little trail shop. And we signed a waiver that's for right. if we were sh- sh- like, if we showed up in this mm-hmm. film that we were Which cool you with did. it. So did we? Yeah, that was okay. like, I, I saw that clip. What was that for? So we that should was for find t- that clip. I saw it the other day. <laughs> I saw it in uh, Tourism Nova Scotia. So it was for Tourism Nova Scotia. And Is I literally right? saw that clip where I'm handing coffee to Deandra. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And you guys are like in the background. Well, and I was just very starry eyed um, from that day on. So yeah, go, it's also very cool <laughs> to have you now in our home. So oh, yes, carry yeah. on. Yeah, but but uh, I funny. wanted to share my meeting you guys 
story too. <laughs> no, wow. so. no, I don't. I did not remember that. I mean, I remembered it now, like you saying it, but I didn't know that was you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was for Tourism Nova Scotia and uh, Bike Nova Scotia to highlight that Rum Runners Trail, which runs essentially, I mean, from like from Steve's coffee shop, the 5K cafe, like yeah, that area, like yeah. downtown, like Bears. Yeah. Shout out to Steve. Um, Bears Lake all the way to Lunenburg as one continuous, beautiful trail with tons of cool stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to promote that to people as a tourism. So that's where we went and got a bunch of video, a bunch of photos for a few days. And that's how we met you. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, so you guys released the book. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, 20, 2015, 2015 is when the book came out. Yeah. Now, you know, from that fateful conversation that Chris and I had just leaving Canso, like, you know, a year and a half has gone on. So we, yeah, just basically started to build the case for a, for adventure. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting again, looking back to 2014, 2015, like the landscape was so different mm. around, specifically around social media. And it just felt like we kind of had the tiger by the tail for, for a second where suddenly all of these opportunities started to align where, you know, the idea of the way that tourism wanted to more shift the narrative about bringing people to Nova Scotia started to shift to about promoting more to Nova Scotians or to Atlantic Canadians, all that kind of different. And I, I dare say it cause I don't like the word, but like the, the influencer culture kind of started around us and we kind of were an early part we, of it. You're saying we started the influencer. No, 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 no. But like it <laughs> suddenly it erupted and we were like no, I know, the outdoor yeah. guys, you know? Because all that leads yeah. into, so we were promoting the book, um, early days, hundred days of adventure, somewhere's in there and New Brunswick tourism sent us an email. And like, I, I started reading them, like they want us to come to New Brunswick. Cool. Yeah. We'll go to New Brunswick. And they're like, dude, they want to pay us to come to New Brunswick. Like what? They want to pay. Whoa. Wow, man. This is amazing. Like, so we can get paid for this kind of stuff. Like I, I mean, I knew you could, but I didn't know that it was a light bulb kind of moment for us mm-hmm. a little bit too. We're like, okay, this is cool. Like there was yeah. less of the formula that like really exists there now. Yeah. And we certainly had zero plan about you know building building the company the way that it would become but it just sort of felt like in that in those early couple of years there was just like suddenly a great vacuum a great need like all these organizations all these different players in the game about trying to promote the outdoors all suddenly needed people to advocate for the outdoors and we just yeah. happened to be there but it was we all waving this book around yeah it was all promoting the book it's like what can we do and i think like a friend of mine, Taryn McDonald, who owned Tooth by Sea, she was part owner of Tooth mm-hmm. by Sea. When she opened in Dartmouth, and I'll never forget this. Like, they had the coffee shop, they were getting ready to open, and they were promoting it. And they were selling these t shirts that said, I love Dartmouth. Nowhere's on there did it say Tooth by Sea. Um, it was just, I love Dartmouth to build community around Dartmouth. And I was like, that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because Dartmouth, downtown Dartmouth, wasn't a place to go hang out. I, I grew up in Dartmouth, so I can say that. <laughs> like it is uh, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And they they start, they're really, truly, um, and, you know, there's other amazing businesses downtown Dartmouth before them, of course, but they truly were one of the first ones to really be like, yeah, we, we love, like, 
love, like downtown Dartmouth love and like creating that community feel. And so a little bit of that, I think I took inspiration from that when we were doing a free adventure where we were like, weren't promoting the book with every post. We were just promoting the outdoors. We were promoting get outside, which, you know, we wanted more eyeballs so that we would sell more books and get, you know, that kind of, that was the end goal, of course, early on. Um, and it just kind of morphed into its own thing. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. I, I struggle to tell people even now, like people will be like, okay, this is really great. But how do you make money? But what, or do, what you, do you do? What do you do? So a lot of that does come from film work now. Like a lot of our mm-hmm. our stuff is film and, and uh, promotion related and stuff. Yeah. That's so cool because a lot of businesses that start off would rewrite a detailed business plan. Like this <laughs> is our tried. plan. We, we tried, tried so many I didn't times. Know how to, we were like, I don't know. Like, but yeah. but you can't re- like you guys. You you had a vision and kind of what you knew what you enjoyed and liked and what you were good at, and you don't know where those opportunities are going to lead. And it's yeah. it's like playing in a band. Like you know, okay, I can play live shows and release albums, but you don't know where it's going to take you, who you're going to meet, and like what connections will like just come from that. And like, okay, I'm writing a custom song for this person now, yeah. or mm-hmm. yesterday. I was uh, doing voice work for an Old Spice commercial. <laughs> oh, <laughs> an audition. I don't have it, but okay. it's like just so random. Like I got an email last year. Tell them the character that you were. Well, okay. Oh, that's okay. so exciting. <laughs> I, I have a recording. I don't want to jinx it, but uh, I, uh, so I got an email last year just out of the blue. It was like, Hello, Michael. Would you like to audition for uh, a vocal part for this commercial? I'm like, uh, sure, I guess. And like, yeah, it pays uh, $5,000 if you get it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'm like, okay, I got to see who this message is from. No idea how they found me. Uh, and it's this huge ad agency in LA. And like, I just looked them up yesterday as I was doing this thing. And like... <laughs> Their latest commercial is a Squarespace ad with Zendaya in it. Like they are like one of the biggest ad agencies in the States and they're doing an old spice commercial and they needed someone <laughs> to audition for a, a singing rat. So I, I, uh, face. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what you just said. Yes. A so, singing rat. That's the best thing I've ever heard. So, <laughs> So they sent me this, the original specs, and I, like, sing my heart out as a rat. They wanted a rat with a Michael Bolton impression. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't even know what Michael Bolton sounds like. So I just went to YouTube, listened to one Michael Bolton song, and then I'm, I'm a singing rat, take my advice. So uh, I, uh, I do my singing rat. Send it off, and I'm. They'll probably send the same message to whatever fifty people or twenty five, however many people, and then, you know, you, they would bring a few to the Old Spice or whoever the person is, and they would say, "Oh, we like that one." So I sent it off. I didn't hear from a few days. Like, ah, I guess, guess I didn't get it. And then yesterday they wrote and said, "Hey, they love your voice." <laughs> Can you can you do a little bit more uh, operatic? <laughs> like, so I'm doing a singing rat, like an opera singer, and also uh, more in the vein of Gilbert Gottfried. 
So wow. oh, I gotta change my voice like this. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so is the rat from New York or something? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, but man. anyway, but, but all this to say that I have no plans to be a singing rat for Old Spice <laughs> when I first started playing music mm. and. This is what I'm doing now. So with what you guys are doing, like, well, we didn't know what we were doing. So once we started getting tourism gigs like that, we were like, well, what else could we do? Like, where do we want to work? And one of the early conversations we had was around, you know, teaching people uh, how to like educate. We talk about education, like educating people on the outdoors and creating. And that's what the book really we tried to do with it. And that's why I thought it was so brilliant when I first heard the book. Is like I could picture kids with parents or guardians reading the book, feeling inspired. And that would translate into like wanting to go play outside more. Like yeah. that's really creating a foundation for adventure. You know, so we created these, like, what is a adventure? What do we want to do? What do we want it to be all about? And it was all about like, you know, fostering creativity and, you know, experiencing things and, you know, uh, really just creating resiliency within, you know, within uh, our lives. Cause adventure, carries on to everything right if you yeah. could fall you get up you, you succeed you cry you don't want to do it you hate it you, you know and then you get to the end you're like yeah and you know and it's so it's that's what we wanted to do and so we we looked to parks canada and they had this learn to camp program that they were kind of like had little pockets of like one or two across the country every year kind of thing and we were like there should be more of these and um and they were they were building the program and we stepped in and like volunteered we're like, here, here's what we're doing. Here's what we want. We love what you're doing. We want to help. And they're like, we can't pay you. We're like, no, 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 we don't want to get paid. We just want to, we want to come help. We think this is really great. We think we could add to it. And here's what we could do. We could mm -hmm. film it. We can promote it. We could take part in the actual events, do some programming, blah, blah, blah. And so we did that. We just volunteered and showed up at Keji and like, here we are. And we're going to film it. We're going to promote it. And, um, and that led to being like, you know, this is this was really great. I think we should be targeting people who maybe wouldn't have a chance to go camping. Like those are the kind of people that that parks really wanted in their programs. Is people who it's great to open it up to anybody, and like you know, the suburban families can go, and the people who have money can pay the small fee and go with their family and learn some new skills and stuff. But what about people who don't have that opportunity? So we looked to organizations that kind of fit the bill. And then ultimately the, the one of the ones that really changed the course of, of A for Adventure was partnering with ISANS and having people from the newly arrived Syrian families come in 2016 mm -hmm. to learn to camp at Keji um, that summer. They arrived in the winter and then they came to learn to camp in, in, the, in the summer. And that was a bit, Parks Canada at first was like, oof. This is, we love it, but, you know, is this a good idea? Um, you know, because a lot of these families have lived in refugee camps for mm -hmm. for years, and they mm. weren't sure about that association, but it ended up being a beautiful event, and uh, and that really kind of kick-started Parks Canada, and now you look at Parks Canada, learn to camps, and it's, they, they target, uh, you know, they encourage and they partner with a lot of these organizations to come to these learned camps. It's really been beautiful to watch. You know, and this just goes back to that, that idea of, of recreation of nature-based therapy, you know, because every time we've gone and done that, now we've done it dozens, hundreds of times, you know, we got to travel the country with it and, and, you know, offer these programs and, you know, just with so 
many diverse backgrounds. And oftentimes, most times, not everybody speaking the same language, not even close. Like sometimes there's like three or four way interpretations happening, mm -hmm. right? Um, but bring people around a campfire, share food together, mm -hmm. share stories, share music. Play a big sugar song. <laughs> Play, yeah, 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 that's right. You know, and then suddenly, you know, it just, nothing seems to really matter beyond that moment. And I think you were saying it earlier, it's just, you know, what can we do to facilitate bringing the moment into our like very specific awareness. The original social media. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the campfire, campfire is. There's no doubt. And you know, people who, and I'm sure you've seen this happen in your own life time and time again, right? People who seem to be pretty closed off, they get down around that campfire and then they open up. Sometimes it takes some teasing, but it um, was a huge eye opener for us. And I think too, a, a healthy transition for us too, because it was like through that, uh, and you know, looking to our evolution now, we we really started to make more of an effort that this was less about just like featuring the exploits of Chris and Jan going to do fun things, and more turning the light back onto like the amazing work that happens in community. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the incredible things is that again that that landscape of people who are offering awesome stuff in this this field in this world, it has exploded. You know, now every little corner of the region that we traveled to 10 years ago that, you know, might have had a little tour company or something, you know, now that it's just so diverse and there's so many awesome things. And, you know, for us, like we, we live and die by this community. And I think it's the same with musicians too, right? Like everyone's out there in our philosophy is, is a rising tide lifts all boats. And, you know, we've seen that happen and uh, we're just the direct benefit of a lot of other people's really good work. You're able to bring this experience to others and then benefit from, be it just simply the environment they're in or the community that you've created for them to speak with and feel included with. Are you both still finding those same benefits yourselves? Like, are you still able to find that refuge and energy in the places that you spend time in? Is there a risk in it feeling more like a job? And I, mm. you know, t take a minute to think about that. And I ask because we speak with a lot of creative people on our podcast. And sometimes there's a little bit of a, a line there in I, I love making art. As soon as it becomes how I pay for my groceries, it can feel a little bit different. So have you ever had that experience or fear that that could happen one day, perhaps? Deeply, 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 deeply. Mm. And I don't it, think and it, it, and it has in some cases for sure. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And Chris and I, we go back on this relentlessly mm -hmm. because, um, you know, to go back to what we said earlier, like we've never really felt that comfortable as, as much as we sometimes you know, project that we do about our relationship with this, with, with social media and with, and with like that outward facing aspect of it. It has given us untold gifts you know, mm -hmm. and for me to like sit here and try to like trash it would be really, 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 really trite. But at the same time, um, specifically when I'm, you know, we've tried hard to have our, our, our eye on the mental health side of it too. Um, there's real conflict and, there, and the conflict changes day to day, you know, about how I feel about it. And certainly, I mean, Chris has been a parent through all of this, but, you know, I've recently had kids over the last couple of years and, and that's deeply changed the way I think about it. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, to answer your question, it does look really different. The way I need to sort of look for a recharge, um, it used to be like, I, I'm very much, I feel like, started this decade as like a 75% extrovert and a 25% introvert. And now I think that's flipped to the opposite. Mm -hmm. And when I go, when we go, we, we really need actually that time to ourselves often. It's those solo trips. It's, it's just Chris and I, it's just. It's, well, that was a good ingredient to the learn to camp experience across Canada as we had, we would do these learn to camps. They'd be amazing, but like emotionally charged as well. Cause we would be hearing a lot of stories. Like we, we cried. I cried a lot around campfires, listening to people's stories and, you know, hugging and laughing and joking. Like it was a, <laughs> amazing experiences, but also really heavy. Um, yeah, we heard some crazy stories about, yeah, anyway, untold uh, things that really put our lives in perspective, right? I mean, those are the things that we need in life to, to make us grounded. And, and, but we would always have, we would stay an extra day. Mm, yep. Oh, and then we, some of those were the best because everyone would leave. We would keep our tents where they were and we would just maybe have a nap, relax, you know, and then we'd go off on an adventure in every park that we were at. So, La Maurice, we got in the canoe, and we, which is in Quebec, and we paddled along at night, and the stars came out. It was just shooting star. It was insane. So we would always have those, like, the cameras were off, so the phones were back at the campsite it's or whatever. just for you. It's just for yeah. us. And, and those were th those were lifesavers. If we would have got up and packed and left with everybody, I think we would have had a different, um, you know, recollection of those experiences as a whole. Oh yeah. That we did. Yeah. Definitely. But it's, I always try to like, even now, like if I'm, you know, I, we've been working on this project with the Canadian wildlife services this year or for the last two years because of COVID and going to really cool places like country Island, which is off the Eastern shore. And it's like the biggest turn colony, um, in North America. And there's thousands of turns flying and I'm filming them all. Like I, that's, I'm like, this is my job. Like, that's crazy. This is so cool. And I try to, I try to appreciate the fact that I am working but look where I'm working and look what I get to do. And so trying to take those moments from those experiences where, you know, and then I have to turn, I have to do a selfie and be like, Hey, here I am. And, but in which I don't like do, but, but, I, but I love this place and I, I want people to, to love it and understand why it's important. So I'll do my best to, you know, be okay with taking a selfie video and posting it online. Yeah, I think I don't think there's any job in the world where someone is like 100%. Oh, I love definitely. every aspect of yeah. this. Like, you know, and I spoke earlier to like the confidence we project, but you know, there's the other side of that coin, right? Which is the insecurity about it all too, for sure. And just like the ongoing process of of judgments and things that happen as a result mm -hmm. of time spent on social media both personally and then you know the judgments we tend to cast wide in the net of looking out there into the others of what they're doing in their life and it's complicated and again it's one of these moving targets that like sometimes i have real strength to deal with it in a day and other times i just have absolutely mm -hmm. none i also want to ask you about you you've talked a bit about the evolution of your business and yourselves your presence uh the communities and organizations that you represent, what are your observations in the land and how has that changed? Like the physical, you know, environmental impact, the the human footprint. It might be a bit of a 
a touchy subject mm. in in that, you know, I know we're not necessarily headed in the best direction, but I'd love because you have visited so many places locally, especially what have you witnessed? And and that could be both deterioration and improvement. I, I'd love to hear both sides of that if if you have examples. Yeah, definitely. I think. I often say this, that if if people only knew. If you just took that extra drive down to the end of that extra road and you saw just, you know, for me, for both of us, and I don't want to speak for Chris too much, but, you know, this is a love story, this this last decade. You and me? Well, definitely. <laughs> we've, we've, we've played that up <laughs> over the years. But um, no, but our, our, our love for planet Earth, but our love for this region, uh, for this country, for sure, because... We have just been to countless places. Like I can't even begin to list them all now, of of places that are hauntingly beautiful, and I and I and I say that word haunting because uh, there's always echoes of of challenging pieces to this. But the more I've traveled around, and you know, there are definitely definitely days that I I feel some level of despair, and there are definitely places that are overloved. You know, we mm. talked about Pollitt's Cove and, you know, there's plenty of different examples that we can point to. Right. But, you know, at a, at a certain point too, that overloved narrative is, is, is a complicated one because I am just so in full belief and I've been convinced of it now so many times that the more we bring people out, the more we put them in these beautiful places, the more they're going to fall in love with it. And then the real good work can start to happen. It's going to be a messy journey. Like getting to where we want to go, like every adventure, is going to be messy. Mm. So all of this this stuff around, you know, whether that be oversharing on, on social media, if that's the different debates around conservation, all of these things are going to be really tricky. But I do feel consistently filled with hope because I've just met so many freaking good people who are out there doing the work and like, I I, I can't find the words to articulate just my gratitude that that we see on such a daily basis of people who are doing amazing things and i just know in their hands not ours that yeah this is a problem we can figure out beautiful do you feel the same yeah i do i think you can't um you're not going to want to protect something if you don't know it mm -hmm. you know and i think that's the part that we're hopefully trying to to solve in a way or to at least help is that to bring, to show people how beautiful these places are, um, to, to, to like chance at the amazing work that's being done by so many different people. If we can play a role in highlighting that, that's, we're, we're pretty grateful for that. That's pretty cool. And, and, you know, that is through videos and social media and through our CBC show and, you know, through speaking engagements and things, whatever we can, whatever we can do to get the message across. But that's, that's really what we're, what we're trying to accomplish and where we go from here. Like, I, you know, I don't know. And that's another thing too. We had a two years of a bell TV show. That was really cool. And, you know, I could see that evolving into something different as well that, you know, we kind of, we tested the waters with the, with it. And I think that could evolve into something, um, continuing forward. But we, you know, we also have families and young kids and traveling, like doing the parks Canada thing was hilarious. Like we drove around, uh, Canada for like 
three months at a time, essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, know? you know, the first couple of years of business, just like, you know, probably your few, first few touring, like we'd be on the road like 200 plus days a year mm-hmm. and not think anything of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just burn ourselves straight out. 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, th- that's not a reality right now. So we got to be yeah. a lot choosier about what we want to do. And I think that's that's good for our mental health and our physical health as well. Similar to Mike and his bandmate Bruce, who have been a duo for more than a decade now, yeah. how how do you both kind of keep that relationship healthy and thriving between the two of you? Yeah, I I don't know. No, I um, <laughs> the shit. How have I done it? Uh, no, I just a mutual respect, I think, for each other and and understanding of each other. We understand each other, I think, pretty well. Like. When one of us is down, the other one picks up the slack. Like it's just like I don't know. It's a it's a weird um, it's a weird dynamic in the sense that we just seem to kind of get each other, mm-hmm. and you know we yeah. both trust each other too. We know that we're not gonna. Do you know we in ten years we've never really had a screaming match? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it can be that simple. It's Arm just a mutual so. respect. Oh, trust. there's been legendary yeah, mini yeah. stick <laughs> games. That's that probably where our... this is the answer I was really getting at. That's a good Let's point. Talk about yeah. the mini sticks. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had some epic when we were moving offices. We had some yeah, epic mini sticks. Yeah. I cut my feet all up doing it. <laughs> this is how men knees. <laughs> yeah, knees scraped, and probably the closest we've ever come to fighting. Probably. Oh, it's, I it's when so. we're competing against each other in some kind of sport or like, yeah. oh, and yeah. that could be anything. We like, revert to nine-year-olds <laughs> immediately. But I guess a part of this too is like, and you guys feel like probably, I mean, you're a married couple. We're married through business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, take your recent trip to Columbia. Like how many times like can you stand upon a beautiful place doing beautiful things surrounded by beautiful people that can you really build up that much resist, uh, resentment to somebody else? Yeah. And if you are, and it happens at times, you know, do you have the strength to deal with that? So, you know, we've had a lot of time in the car to, to figure stuff out. And we've had a lot of really, really profound experiences together, uh, both, you know, work induced and sometimes chemically induced and, and everything else in between that um, it's all on the table. Like it, there's, there's nothing that Chris doesn't know about me, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm good with that. What are your favorite kinds of chips? Mm. <laughs> this whole conversation. And now the gloves come off. <laughs> if you were driving, both of you guys were going from whatever here to Edmondson, you know, mm-hmm. oh, good, cool. good Edmondson. stint. Yeah. Uh, and you're allowed to get one kind of chips <laughs> for both of you to share one big bag. Well, they have to agree on the the favorite kind. Yeah, to share. I mean, I'm just gonna rule the day here. It's still gonna be sun chips, sun chips, sun chips, French onion, sun chips. And this is why the relationship works so well. Is that I don't resist that, and I say sure, Jan, and then we get the sun chips. Yeah. If it was if it was my choice, it'd probably be dill pickle, or uh, you know, my classic favorite, uh, you know, closet lover of roasted chicken chips. Mm, Yeah. I do remember bringing those to a party when I was in the high school and I got made fun of, so I stopped doing it. It's traumatized by that experience. But if you I'm brought them here, you'd be, <laughs> be heroes. Everyone's got their soft spot. Now that I know that Mike is a fan, I think we're going to have to dummy a bag of those pretty soon. <laughs> I feel like you could cover a full episode on that. Yeah, Mike's birthday, there's usually five or six bags of roast chicken chips delivered to the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. I uh, 
inadvertently set a world record for uh, eating a big bag of roast chicken <laughs> chips when I was in high school. I mean, the, me and my buds were going fishing, and we stopped at a convenience store. It was called Vans. And uh, I got a big bag of chips and sat in the car and just started eating them. And I'm like, I wasn't trying to eat the whole bag, but I just polished them off before we got to our fishing spot, which was less than five minutes away. And they're like, you just ate a whole big bag of chips in like four minutes and 20 seconds. I get it. That's pretty fast, actually. <laughs> Maybe that's a world record. I so. think that's pretty close. It's a pretty suiting time to plow down a big bag of chips, too, actually. Yeah, and then you go and you got to put the worm on the hook <laughs> and you get the roast chicken on your fingers. It, but it add, like, that, that's that how you land a big one. Yeah. You probably yeah. caught a big one that day, didn't you? I, uh, <laughs> I, I only remember eating the chips that yeah. day, actually. <laughs> but uh, this this is amazing. I, I actually, actually want to ask about that Sable Island. Sure. How how did you know that the weather wouldn't change like in that time frame? Because cause if you're out in the middle, I guess you got the boat there, but like if the waves start coming up, that's pretty pretty dangerous. Well, I mean, I guess let me paint the picture for you. I mean, we were in a 21-foot kayak, and there was a good stretch of probably 12 hours, 10 hours for sure. Like a good the good first third of the trip where the waves were big enough that we would like, we would disappear because the trough of the wave was bigger than 21 feet. No, Jesus. it's a hard no. In yeah. the middle of uh, the Atlantic Ocean. The middle, and, <laughs> so yeah. you guys were in one kayak? We're in a double yeah. kayak. One double, yeah. 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 I was in the back doing nothing, just hanging out. <laughs> and poor Graham was up there just slaving away. But, um, you know, I, I, look, we had the time of our lives doing that trip. Like yeah. Graham, Graham Carter, uh, is one of my favorite human beings on this planet earth. He is just one of the most beautifully authentic, raw, amazing humans that you'll ever spend time with. And, and just being there with him, like I, there was never a moment that I didn't think we were going to make it. Mm -hmm. mm. We were singing Stan Rogers tunes, <laughs> you know, there was dolphins jumping out of the water. We saw whales, you know, at night. When you're out there, like offshore, there's no lights. And yeah. in actual fact, we can't have our lights on, on the, on the kayak itself. Like we had a little tiny beacon so that these guys were a couple kilometers away. They could still see us, but you have to have your lights off because you wouldn't be able to see the waves or anything else. Right. And at that point, you know, we're, at, we're now like 15, 16, 17 hours in, we're over halfway. The waves are coming from behind us. So I have to like navigate and steer us through this and if i can't see the wave over my shoulder that's taller than my shoulder then you know you're in big trouble real fast because as soon as you're in the water you're done and uh so we just in the dark yeah meanwhile i'm on board tweeting about snoozing. the type <laughs> I, I had a tweet about how delicious the uh, cool ranch doritos were. <laughs> <laughs> i got no, the most it laugh. all comes back to yeah. chips see, it yeah, always does yeah. you yeah. tried to bring him back to sable uh, island no. we're gonna end with the chips <laughs> instead yeah this, this has been an amazing chat and what you're both doing is it's just awesome and inspiring to see. And um, Hey, likewise. No, and I mean that right back to you guys. And I, I say this again with, with huge love. Um, you know, my appetite for social media seems to be pretty narrow these days. And I'll be fully 
you know, upfront, like some, some stuff I feel really triggered by, like I get on there and I, I immediately feel like I'm not being my best self in the way that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But I never feel like that with you guys. Like whenever I see it, I'm like, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing this. Like this is awesome. And oh. you know, and Mike and I got to work together on, on George's record. Yeah. And like, that was, that was really special, man. Sure, so just man. like, thank you to you guys. Cause you know, I really, we both look up to you substantially. Oh, well, that's that's very kind. And I I sort of resonated with something you said about starting out using your book as kind of a marketing tool. Well, I'll say I'm paraphrasing here, but when we started podcasting, it was very similar ambition mm. in that, you know, we can promote different things that we're doing, maybe shows that are coming up. And very quickly did all of that change. And we realized that we get to have people in our home and share these really intimate experiences with and who cares about all of the others who cares about the data and the analytics and the listeners and the geography like it just completely vanished and being able to spend time like this and really learn like we've learned so much and it's highlighted the great work that people are doing and there's just so many wonderful sincere hardworking souls Mm. just right here in Halifax um, we're so lucky to be part of your community and the expanding community that, uh, you know, we're all fortunate to be part of. So, yeah, back and, at you. Look, it, it is the reminder. And we plopped a little campfire in front of us right now. <laughs> that we really could call this a therapy session. But you know, conversation is key, right? And yeah. I think that's that's ultimately, you know, if I was to distill down one of the beefs that I have with social media, it's like it's hard to articulate sometimes in uh, a 30 second reel or a five minute video or whatever else like it takes the time in order to kind of show things three-dimensionally yeah and i think you guys do it beautifully thank you means a lot and uh we'd love to have you back just hear more about your adventures because i know you have a lot (laughs) (laughs) we didn't even scratch the surface we didn't get into it no we got and we gotta you know heckle our our boy george as well yeah and uh we i just announced before you came on our show december 2nd the marquee marquee. we're coming back town heroes george woodhouse and public service and daniel james mcfadden no way what a party Yeah. yeah We'll put the link to the tickets in this in these show notes this yeah, week too. See you there. Come yeah. on down. Hot take. Hey, thanks, buds. Thank you, you guys. That was a pleasure. All right.